Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 391. The better person in everybody lies inside of you. And sometimes it just takes a little help and encouragement from somebody else to bring it out. Um, and actually, that's a very large part of doing what I do now of taking, you know, good leaders and making them great ones. That greatness exists inside of them. They might be good. They might be successful. They might be happy. But there's always something more. And people that seek that always something more, they're always going to need help to bring it out. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants, large and small, are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line. To learn more, head to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com. And be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable to get your first month free. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable, and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Howard Solomon. Howard, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely. Let's get going. <laughs> yes. So a graduate from the University of Iowa in Illinois State University, Solomon served Wolfgang Puck as director of culinary administration uh, before starting his own hospitality consulting firm, the Solomon Group. And during this time, Solomon was an educator teaching restaurant management at San Diego State University. Today, Solomon serves as founder of Solomon 2.0, where his mission is to open the eyes of good Good leaders and give them a great leader makeover. So I can't wait to dive into uh, <laughs> your backstory and how you how you make these leader makeovers happen. Uh, but first, let's uh, dive into some kind of inspirational or motivational quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? Wow, um, I got a lot of them. Um, nice. uh, first one that comes to mind is uh, leadership is action. Uh, not a title, um, but if you're really into uh, getting a trophy, um, try the title of Chief Listening Officer, which every great leader should have that title. Why is listening so important? You know, listening is, uh, is where it all starts. Um, you know, listening starts, um, begins the building relationship process. Um, you can't have uh, um, a high level of respect um, some people even say you can't have trust without a relationship. I don't know if I really agree with that. Um, 
uh, leadership is the, the basis of any sort of human relationship. Um, and it starts with listening. Awesome. I love it. And it's so true. Uh, you can't do anything about a situation until you've collected as much data as possible. And you, you collect data by listening. Awesome stuff. Um, so, uh, where did it start with you, Howard? Uh, when did you get into this industry? Cause doing a little bit of research, it looks like you got, you went to school for communication, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. physical therapy or not physical. Uh, what is it? Um, Something physical like, ed- I want to say physical education. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. how did you find yourself uh, in the hospitality industry? You know, um, I just happened. Um, I happened upon it, um, actually. And then I got sucked in, uh, like a lot of people, um, and never really had the desire to get out, um, until it was probably too late and then found ways to, maneuver myself through the industry to, um, become passionate about the things that I was passionate about and, and find a successful path. Okay. So do you remember how you got sucked in? Like what was the, what was the first time? Like when did you know, uh, well first, like how'd you get started real quick? So, um, I got started in high school. Um, um, I was one of those, uh, kids that, um, I think, um, annoyed the living crap out of my parents. Um, I was rambunctious. Um, I had, uh, um, I couldn't sit still. Um, (laughs) my mom and I couldn't, I couldn't be active on what my mom wanted to be active of, like doing homework and my chores and things like that. So my parents thought the best thing for me was to get a job. Um, so they called a friend of theirs who owned a few restaurants, um, in Peoria, Illinois, and, um, he gave me a job as a dishwasher. Awesome. Uh, and I start off as a dishwasher. I eventually became a prep cook. Um, I tried my hand at busing for exactly one table. <laughs> um, and I said, please take me back in the kitchen. Um, and that's, <laughs> it started in high school. I ended up, uh, getting a job in a restaurant in college, um, worked at the same place for four years, uh, while I was in college and after college, while, figuring out what I wanted to do. I still worked in restaurants. Um, How long I, did you work in restaurants uh, until you realized that this isn't just a for now job? You know, I, in, um, I got hooked up with the hard rock cafes um, in the mid eighties. Um, and uh, I opened up um, as an assistant kitchen manager, a hard rock cafe in Chicago, Illinois. Um, and at that time there was only two hard rocks west of the Mississippi. Um, and there might've been only four hard rocks in the entire United States. Um, and only one overseas in London. So it was a very, very young company. Um, and I got, uh, I got hooked on this culture, um, that they had. Um, and it was really the first time that work, um, wasn't like work and it wasn't a dread to go in. And my coworkers were my family, um, and I'd, I'd bleed for them. I would do anything for them. Um, and I went out. Um, my, my coworkers became my friends, and I believed in the brand. I believed in the mantra. I, I loved the, the hype of the music and, and the memorabilia on the walls. And, you know, it, <clears throat> it became part of my fiber. All right. So where did your passion feed into all this? Because you mentioned earlier uh, that you found you eventually 
realized that this is going to be your career. You're too far into it. Right. And then you found a way right. to leverage your passion. So what exactly was your passion? You know, when I left, when I left the hard rock, you know, um, and I went to a different, uh, concept, um, you know, I, I kind of thought that every restaurant, every, you know, restaurant like the hard rock, like every big chain, not necessarily a mom and pa, but every, every chain operated like the hard rock. It was like the first, um, real experience and, and things like that. And so when I went to this, this new chain, I, I thought it would be like that. Um, and it wasn't. Um, and then I wanted that feeling, that great culture. So I started to dissect, you know, what it was at the hard rock that gave me this feeling, this, you know, this internal emotion and, and passion and started to really dissect what it was and then started to create, you know, processes and alter people's mindsets to achieve that same kind of culture. Um, and then I, you know, looked, started to look back on, on previous operators that I had worked at that actually shared that mindset and remembered what they said and remembered what they had tried to teach me when I was younger and not paying attention um, and really hone in on that on that culture building and the, the people relationship building, um, the leadership building and start, I was self-taught. So you, you mentioned you wanted to, to dissect what it was. Uh, and it was, you mentioned culture building, relationship building. What exactly did you discover when you started dissecting, uh, this, this restaurant group, the hard rock and what they were doing, what the secret sauce was, you know, um, the hard rock had this mantra, um, uh, it was all as one. Um, and they just didn't say the words. Um, they actually taught you what it meant. What does it um, mean? You know, well, before I answer that, it's, it's kind of like if, if you went to a, a coach or a mentor now and you say, well, how do I become a great leader? And that mentor or um, that coach you read on LinkedIn, well, you got to be a great listener. And you go, okay, great, great, great. I'm going to go, I'm going to go be a great listener now. You're like, a, you're like a dog chasing a bone. And you can, you can chase that bone till the day is long unless you actually figure out or someone tells you exactly how to be a great listener. So these mantras and these, and these catchphrases exist. Um, but very few people can actually go out there and teach you how to do that. So when all is one came about, you know, people could say, yeah, it's all about working together and being a team. And you go, oh, okay, good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go work together with everybody and, and we're going to be a team. But then like, how do you really do that? And what does that really mean? And then you learn lessons like, like um, the effort that it takes to build like a true relationship and then you learn the hard lesson that it could take you days, weeks, months, years to build that relationship. And it takes one simple sentence of less than four seconds to wipe it all away. Mm. Um, and, you know, unless people tell you stories and, and they make you think of your past and how you did that to somebody. And then you create this feeling inside of you of wanting to replicate that feeling or never wanting to have that feeling ever again. You know, that's what drives you to passionately believe in, in what you say. And all is one was one of those things where, you know, it wasn't just about teamwork. 
And it wasn't just about working together. It was about truly caring about the people that you work with when someone was sick or someone had a family member pass away or, or something bad happened with their kids or their, or their life, um, that you were there for them. Um, and that, that was teaching us camaraderie. That was teaching us how to do everything we could to make that person successful. Because in turn, if everybody was successful in the restaurant, then the restaurant itself would be successful. Um, all as one was about helping people that couldn't help themselves. We had, we developed homeless programs and we developed, um, races to raise money for awareness. Um, you know, we had this great culture of everyone is the same, all is one, regardless of race, creed, color, natural origin, sexual orientation, um, you know, or, or things like that. Um, it's just a, it was just a great building block, you know, coming from a small town in Peoria, Illinois, um, and working in that kind of environment in a, in a big city like Chicago, it, it, uh, opened up my eyes, not just opened my eyes, it, it shaped me who I am today. That's awesome, man. Uh, that was a great little tear you just went on. And, uh, I'm curious when, when did the hard rock open or what's the history of that? Like without getting into too much detail, I'm just curious as to when you, you were working there, you said it was the mid, uh, mid eighties, nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So how I, long were they in business for before that point? So I think the first one in the United States, um, opened up in 1983. Okay. Um, and that was in Los Angeles and then San Francisco opened up after that a year later and then Chicago opened up after that. So you were working for the hard rock when there were only the say like five or six locations. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're still it working for a relatively small company. Yeah. But they had, you know, they had, they, you know, another notion that they taught me was, you know, um, you know, a- absolutely work within the limits of your abilities and your needs and your finances and things like that. But dream big, mm. you know, so um, the Hard Rock had this big dream um, and they worked within the confines of what they had and they grew into their shoes and they grew into their dreams and they were smart about it, both, um, you know, financially and, and culturally. Yeah. And I think uh, the Hard Rock has a great culture. Do you know Jim Knight by any chance? I do know Jim Knight. Yeah, Jim was a past guest on the show. I have his book sitting right next to me. Yeah, I just grabbed it while you were talking, and he was a great guest. And that's it's crazy to think that uh, we've had two people now on the show uh, that came from that same culture. Uh, that yeah. this culture is all is one, and I love how you broke that down. And what is all in one? It's it's truly caring, uh, yeah. literally all serving to 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 be as one. If if one person's down, we're all down, you know, and to to live to exist to to serve everyone that's on your team to make everyone wholly good. Uh, I love that. That is such a great way to think about it. And the power of that people just have a hard time sometimes understanding. Mm. Yeah, man. So I'm, I'm curious, what else did you learn from the hard rock? Cause at this time they're, they're still a, a small company. They're doing a lot of things, right? Uh, they have a culture down. What, what else did they do really well that, uh, you think was missing when you went on to another location, this, this next location? Um, you know, I, I was kind of blessed when I first started there. Um, one of the people, well, well, first of all, Peter Morton was the owner. Um, and he was, um, actively engaged in 
in the people and his culture and his brand. And, you know, I start off as an assistant kitchen manager and he'd call up in the morning and he'd talk to the GM and then he'd ask who's in the kitchen. And oftentimes I was there, he'd ask, you know, what the soup of the day is and reminded me that the soup had to be served hot. Um, he talked about tuna fish and make sure it wasn't watery and make sure he squeeze all the water out by hand. And, you know, our server shoes white is the bathroom clean, you know, all of these things that he felt that people really weren't paying attention to that you had to pay attention to the small details. Um, cause that, that, you know, drives people's decisions, whether they return or not. Hmm. So I learned a lot about paying attention to small details. Um, one of the people that was in charge of the brand, um, she came actually from the hospitality world and she was just an absolute clean freak. Um, I'm telling a big fish story now, but you know, cleaning the, the bottom of the, of the prep table legs, you know, with a toothbrush, um, wow. that actually didn't happen, but it's a good story, but it's pretty close to that. So I'm curious, I, I want to move on, but, uh, I feel like there, the Harbor Rock Cafe, uh, is such a, I mean, I've heard such great things about like the early development of what the culture was, uh, the early years of the hard rock. Uh, what do you think was the, the, the backbone to it all or the keystone to it all? How did they pull off that amazing culture like they did? You know, it, I, I go back to listening. Um, you know, eventually we got um, a vice president of operations. His name is Jim Reese. Um, and he actually operates all of the Hash House of Go-Go's throughout, um, throughout the country now, um, which has great food and great culture. But um, he was a good listener. You know, he listened to Peter. He understood what Peter's vision was. Um, sometimes operators, they work with an owner and they say, ah, that guy doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. We're going to do it this way. Um, but Jim didn't do that. Um, Jim actually worked hard at completing um, and striving for the completion of, of Peter Morton's vision. Um, and he got all of his, all of his leaders, all of us GMs, um, to do the same thing. Um, you know, when I, when I got to that GM, uh, I actually, uh, started off after I did an opening, um, in Honolulu, which I think was the fourth or fifth store. And after I did that opening, I did every opening after that. Wow. Um, so I did six openings in about seven years. Might have been five openings. Um, so they had this one piece of culture that went from opening to opening to opening to keep to keep that people culture, to keep that attention to detail, to keep the the all is one, you know, alive, going from opening to opening to opening. And I think that was a really, really smart move. I didn't know what I was doing when I was doing it. And I certainly didn't know the importance of what I was doing when I was doing it. But I was young. I was single. I was willing to move. I wanted to see the world. I was willing to pack up my bags and move. Um, and yeah, so it, it was it was a great experience. And I think it was equal. I think they got out of, out of me what I got out of them. And do you think at any point... Um and that, that tenure you were there opening these restaurants, did you see a change in the culture from being there when there was like two or three locations to when there was like nine or ten locations? Not really. I didn't see any dilution of the culture. It was just more difficult to manage. You know, there was more people to manage. There was more opportunity for things to get out of whack. Mm -hmm. um, there was more opportunity for managers who didn't have the culture who we hired from outside the company 
um, you know, to um, change things uh, or to do it their way. Um, so, yeah, it, it just became more difficult to maintain it. But the good thing was there was more of us to maintain it. Yeah, man, I can't believe it. we're already at 19 minutes. Time goes by so fast. Uh, we got we're still so early in your career. So uh, you worked for Wolfgang Puck. Uh, talk talk us through how that opportunity came into your your uh, world. Um, I was actually recruited um, to go there, um, and uh, you know it was it was interesting. It was very interesting to work with with Wolfgang. Um, and uh, his wife at the time, Barbara, who was an interior designer, um, you know, he, Wolf didn't really care too much about um, anything but the, the food um, and how the food was prepared and the passion that the food was prepared with. So the, 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 the people passion part of it. Um, the systems, the operation, the efficiencies, um, the look, um, he really wasn't vocal about that stuff. So it appeared that he didn't, he didn't care about that stuff. I think that he did. He just didn't, wasn't at the top of his list. Um, but he loved, I mean, here's a guy, um, who loves being in the kitchen. Um, some of the great, the great pieces is, um, you know, he loved working side by side with people. Um, he also loved correcting them when they did something wrong, but he did it in such a way that you never felt bad that you screwed up in front of the owner or as someone as prominent as Wolfgang Puck. Um, he had such a, he had, he kept his people accountable. He had very high standards, but he delivered it in such a caring way, um, in such a mentor, teacher, father son like way that it was a, a great a great culture um he taught uh, like i said the side-by-side mentality he um he empowered people to try things he um which i wholeheartedly believe in today um he believed in in collaborating um, asking people what they thought um not just of his food but the direction and um he was a he was a good listener he wasn't uh you would think somebody like that was an egomaniac, but, but he wasn't. Um, and I, I think that shows, you know, when people see him, either meet him in person or he, he's, you see on TV. I mean, I think he shows that genuine nature through the camera. So when you're talking about him asking people to try things, are you talking about trying new foods or trying different approaches? What, what did he mean by that? You know, when people were um, maybe afraid to try something uh, that in fear of failure, um, he would encourage them to try, um, whether it was, um, you know, making a sauce that had to be carefully whisked as you, you know, slowly added another ingredient so that it wouldn't break. Um, you know, he, he'd almost push you to the ledge and tell you to jump. You know, he wanted you to, to try things that were outside of your comfort zone. Why? Um, Why do you think he, he had people do that? Was it instinctual? Would you think he was trying to, what was I, the purpose? I, I, I think he's just trying to bring the best out of people. Um, How is trying new things going to bring the best out of people? You know, um, I think it's just that challenge. You know, I think that um, the better person in everybody um, lies inside of you. Um, And sometimes it just takes a little help and encouragement from somebody else to bring it out. Yeah. Um, And actually that's a very large part of 
doing what I do now of taking, you know, good leaders and making them great ones. That greatness exists inside of them. They might be good. They might be successful. They might be happy. Um, but there's always something more. And people that seek that always something more, they're always going to need help to bring it out. Mm. Awesome. And I love that idea of just embracing your fears and when you're a little afraid to push it a little bit further because you, you don't know what's going to happen and that area of discomfort is the area of where you really start to grow and learn and just figure things out and uh, Seth Godin has a book he it's titled uh, what to do when it's not when it's your turn uh yeah. and it's always your turn is the title of the book and it's really meant to be like this like a little motivational uh like to help you push you over the edge when you're like things are, are rough and he has a little piece in that book on like embracing fear and right. uh, feeling stupid. And a lot of people fear feeling stupid. They don't want to feel stupid because they don't want to appear stupid. But it's when you are, when you feel stupid that that's where the magic happens because yep. you don't feel stupid for long. It's temporary stupid feeling. But yeah, when you're, away. when you're constantly feeling stupid, that means you're constantly learning. So feel stupid, embrace stupid, uh, right. and always try to feel stupid because that's, that's where the magic is. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is from Ernest Hemingway. He says, the best way to find out if you trust someone is to trust them. So, (laughs) you know, when I'm out there and I'm like, God, you know, I really like this person. Like he, you know, he or she's a potential leader and, you know, they should be like in a shift lead role or, you know, let them do this or let them do that. And, you know, we're talking about empowering people and, you know, the manager or the GM or whoever I'm talking to. Well, you know, I just don't trust them right now. And I fire right back and I say, well, what did they do that proved to you that, that you, that you can't trust them? And they go, well, they didn't really do anything. They just haven't earned it yet. And it kind of makes you think. Yeah. And then I I go right back. Well, the best way to find out if you can trust someone is to trust them. Mm. You've got to extend trust before you can. That's the other important thing too. Uh, Nobody will trust you until you trust them. Yep. So awesome. Okay. So, um, we're at uh, 25 minutes right now of recording time. Uh, and when I get a consultant on the show, when I get somebody who's just who's, whose job is to m- share knowledge, that's what you do. You share knowledge. Uh, I like to really just give you the floor because you're, you're used to talking about this stuff. So what are three things? Just list three topics, three lessons uh, that you want to dive into. Uh, in the next like 15 minutes uh, and then we'll just pull it apart. So what, what are the three things that you, if you could like leave us all better, what would you leave us with? Wow. Um, a couple things we've talked about already a little bit. Um, one is, is um, how to be a great listener. Um, the other one is empowering people um, and probably trust. All right, cool. So let's start with how to be a great listener. Teach us how to be a great listener. Wow. Free advice, huh? Um, <laughs> you know, people can, people can break down um, how to be a great listener into, into steps. Um, you know, I like to call them or other people call them action steps. Um, but the biggest, the if, if I were to funnel it down into, into one thing, I mean, I could talk about, yeah, you have to have good eye contact um, and you have to be paying attention. You can't, you can't be on your phone um, and you, um, you know, you have to um, 
you know, be engaged. Um, and, and those are all really simple stuff. And when you tell somebody that, um, they'll probably say to themselves, um, yeah, I already do that. So, so what else? So the secret ingredient to listening is to, um, not interrupt. Um, you know, another, another great quote of mine, um, not of mine, but I love is from Will Rogers who said, uh, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. Mm. Uh, and you know, the, the, the greatest thing that you can do to listen outside of the, the normal, probably innate human things to do, like pay attention and, and have good eye contact is not to interrupt. And that takes work and it takes hard work because people in the knowledge base, the people that have something to give like knowledge and have something to say, um, they just want to reply. Um, so they listen to reply. They, they don't listen to understand. Um, that's they want huge, to interrupt. That's a huge point. And I'm, I'm interrupting you as you're talking. Okay. It's some kind of irony. It's your, it's uh, your show. <laughs> no, but that's a good point. And when people, like you mentioned, uh, people are listening to come to, for the sole purpose of to come back to prove their own point. Uh, and, when I listening to you talk, it reminds me of something that I'm, I'm sure all of, anybody who's listens to my show often knows what I'm about to say, which is first seek to understand, then seek to under to be understood. Uh, those right. one of those seven habits of highly effective people. Yep. Uh, see yep. Covey's book, and yeah, I mean the only thing you should be saying uh, when you are listening, the only like you, you should you shouldn't be coming out to make your point. The only words that should be coming out of your your mouth should have a question mark at the end of it. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> that's like what, what I like to think. Uh, just pull back layers. Um, I just want to share something real quick. Uh, so what you said about the whole people think about their response because they feel like they have to prove something. But right. the truth is if you, if you take the time just to listen, to gather the information, to use the more, the less talking you do, the more information you're going to gather, the more likely you are going to be able to come back with a better response if you just shut up and listen and gather as much possible information. So if you want a good response, if it's an argument, if you want to win the argument, shut up and just listen and take in as much possible. I mean, it doesn't matter who wins. I I don't want to suggest that like you listen to win arguments. That's not why we do it, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you'll be amazed at how much you can learn about the person you work with about the situation, about potential solutions. If you never miss an opportunity to shut up. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Anything else on the topic of things you want to teach us on how to be a better listener? Yeah. The, the sec, I believe, I wholeheartedly believe that empathy is the soul of listening. Um, and it starts off with, if you were talking, how would you like to be treated? Would you like someone to interrupt you? Would you like someone to give you an answer and reply without fully understanding the situation or, or the, the, the encouragement that you were looking for? You know, probably not. Like when people are interrupted, they usually say, oh, okay, so this guy doesn't want really to listen to me anyway. So I'm just going to shut up now and clam up and make this conversation go end as quickly as I possibly can because I'm tired of being interrupted. So that's the first part of empathy. And then when you're actually listening to understand the empathy kicks in again because you want to be able to feel what that employee is feeling or what that peer is feeling or the person that, that is seeking your help. You want to feel what they're feeling. 
in order for you to fully grasp the magnitude of the problem or the situation that they're dealing with. You know, it's it's a lot easier for, I've always said it sometimes it's easier for, you know, the, the great CEO to like go through the ranks from a dishwasher because they understand every position. And it's not that they understand every position, it's that they empathize with every position in the restaurant. They know how hard it is. They know the challenges. They've walked in their shoes before. Um, and that whole empathy, you know, helps in building relationships. It helps in empowering people. It helps in the, in the trust factor. It helps in achieving success together. Um, and it goes back to that we're all on the same team of, of all is one. And it's just a huge, huge part of listening. So Howard, when we first, when I first asked you uh, to share the three things that you listed, how to be a good listener, empathy, and trust. Are we still on good listening and how empathy yep. feeds into good listening? Okay, cool. I just want to make sure yep. we're on the same page. Yeah, um, empathy is empathy is the soul of listening. Yeah. Okay. So, w- what else do you want to share uh, on top of or in regards to how to be a good listener? Uh, before we move on to really diving into empathy itself, I don't want to dive too much into empathy now because I want to save some for later. Um, I think just, you know, you know, there's, there's the, you know, what, what you mentioned before, you know, if, if you're going to say something while you're having a conversation with something, just have it be, you know, a verifying question. Um, have it be something that, that's going to verify their thoughts, not, you know, not telling you how to fix the problem, you know, too soon. So the, t- the two chief things is listening is uh, don't interrupt. And once you find out that you actually are listening to understand and not to replying that you really put yourself in those person's shoes and, and feel what they're feeling. Awesome. All right. Anything else in regards to, uh, regards to, I'm sorry, uh, listening before we move on. Let's move on. All right, cool. So empathy was the next thing. I feel like we've been on this for a little bit, but what haven't you told us about empathy so far that you want to share with us? Why? It's you know, so I, I think that, that once you get this internal connection, you know, with somebody, you know, you're, you're at the basis of building relationships, um, you know, and you, you feel what they feel, you, you start to develop this, this strong sense of wanting them to become successful. Um, and your desire to help them be successful is to empower them, Mm. um, is to give people a chance. Um, you know, I was talking to a restaurant client, um, last month. And I, I still bring this up to him because he learned a very valuable lesson about him trusting and empowering people. Um, he had a food runner. He only had one food runner on the whole schedule. And, and the guy worked every, you know, Thursday, Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And I said, so what happens if he were to leave the company? He said, well, I, I don't, I have to go hire somebody else and train them. I go, well, why did you do that? He goes, well, I don't really have anybody else. I go, what are you talking about? Like how many people are on your staff? It's about 25 people and go, and not one of them can food run. Like, I don't understand. And you can just see it, it. The conversation just stopped and his mind just started to spin. Like, well, why do I only have one person trained to be a food runner? Because I only have five food running shifts a week, you know, and then it led into trust. You know, well, I don't, you know, I don't trust this person. I don't trust that person. Well, what it, would they do? you know, that would cause you not to, not to have their trust. And then he goes, well, they're new. They just haven't earned it yet or whatever he said, you know, and you know, now, you know, that person in the restaurant space, he's actually lowering labor. 
um, because he's, he's empowering people and he's trusting them more. And people are now engaged. He, he ignited some enthusiasm in his staff for not doing the same thing over and over again. And he's starting to have some people that, you know, might food run one shift and might bust two other shifts and be a bar back on their four shifts. So they're doing something different every day at work and every day is exciting. It's not the same old thing um, because he empowered these people. And now he finds out when someone does leave, he probably has enough people to fill all the shifts because people can do multiple tasks. And it's a really simple thing. And people might say, oh, I already do that already. But do you do it enough? And do you do it with the right intention? Um, or you just do it because you had to? And are you really picking and choosing the right people so you have longevity with your staff? And, you know, so um, and then people might not do it unless you had a good relationship with them. So it, it all goes hand in hand. And, and it, it starts with listening. And then. You have the non-interruption and then you have the empathy and empathy leads into empowering people and trusting people. Awesome. Uh, I want to dive deeper into trust. I feel like uh, we kind of talked a little bit earlier about, you know, trust to get trust. You need to extend trust. So what else can you share with us on how to develop that trust with the people on our team and in our network? You know, trust, trust is a big leap of faith. You know, I've met more people that are stubborn about trust um, and giving opportunity than I could shake a stick at. And, um, you know, um, it, it, a lot of that, you know, stems from fear. You know, um, I myself have been a victim of it. You know, I felt like, you know, in some, some aspects I'd, I'd gone as far as I could go and I sought out for you know, additional challenges and I sought out to, to move up in, in the company and, I sought out to do these other things. And, you know, at one point someone told me, um, you know, you're really, really great at what you do. And because of that, I just want to keep you there. And I'm like, well, that's great for you, but that's not great for me. Mm. You know, so, and that, that happened out of a fear. Like, you know, that person was afraid of what would happen to where I was if I left. And unfortunately, I left and he faced his fear anyway. Mm. So um, and I think great leaders, you know, truly understand, um, you know, this whole trusting empowerment portion of growing people. Um, it, it just creates longevity in people. And, it, it, and when you have longevity in people, like we talked about the hard rock, your culture stays in place longer. You have less bumps in the road. You know, I love these people that say, like, I worked for the company for you know, 20 years. Um, I, I like to, I say, God, you must have learned a lot. And they go, I have, you know, I start off at this, sometimes they say, I start off not even able to speak English, you know, and now look at me, you know, I have my own district or I have my own region. Um, those stories are great. They are. And I, I want to make sure I'm following you. Uh, you said when, when you were telling the story about uh, the your situation where, uh, this manager had you in a role uh, because they trusted that you would do the job well. Uh, then you went on. Uh, eventually, you left because you wanted to grow and you weren't getting that opportunity to grow. Right. He trusted that you would do the job well. Let's dive into that. I, I feel like we need to break that part a little bit, Mark. So I don't really quite follow yep. exactly your 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 thought process, your rationale. So do you mind pulling that apart a little bit for me? Yeah. So. 
you know, my, my father taught me a lot. He, he was, um, he was an engineer. Um, but he was one of those guys that was very simple. Um, he didn't speak a lot, but when he spoke, it was usually something really important. So you better listen. Mm -hmm. So he taught me when I was young that, you know, you're never going to grow in a company unless you teach someone to do your job. So I believe that if I taught people to do my job, to do it just as well or better than I would, I'd be able to grow. So when this one company where I didn't get the opportunity that I wanted, I trained nearly every manager that walked through those doors and they got sent to other stores, which was fine. You know, I, I wasn't in the position to pick and choose where they stayed, but it wasn't like I didn't train the people to, to take my place. I trained plenty of them that the company trusted and that my boss trusted. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, you get these notions in your head that if you do certain things, certain things will happen. And if they don't happen, yeah, you might be disappointed, but you still want that personal growth. So in order to be to get your wants and to fulfill your dreams, you, you have to be a go getter. And if you're not getting it where you are, then go get it someplace else. So how does trust feed into that? So you need to trust that if you train somebody, I'm, I'm still kind of not, I'm not tying it together. I apologize. No, I, that's okay. Hold I think my, my hand, boss, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> Help me get it. I think, I think my boss did trust other people, but maybe, um, he, he was, a, he feared something bad was going to happen. He had a high level of comfort and trust with me. And he looked at it that if it wasn't broken, don't fix it. So I'm not going to move this person. Um, so instead of trusting that it's not broken, don't fix it. Uh, what should we trust? Yeah, you know, I think I think you got to um, I think you got to empower your people and trust them. I personally, if I was him, I would have said, hey, you've done a great job. You deserve to move up. And I'm going to do that. And, and then let's collaborate. I'm going to invite participation. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. Who do you think would be the best person to take your spot? Let's talk about it. And then you talk about it. And then you tell that person, hey, I'm giving you the spot. It's, 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 the, it's the GM spot of the busiest restaurant we have. And I trust you. I believe in you. You can do this. And I'm here for you if you need help. I know that Howard's here, even though he's moving on with the company, he's here to help you. We're all here to help you be successful. And I trust you'll do a great job. That's what I wish he would have said. Awesome. Uh, one other thing I want to dive into before we move to the speed round, and that is uh, something you just men mentioned uh, on the topic of empowerment. What is the right way to go about empowering our people? If we want to, you know, imprint or uh, teach them how to do our jobs, empower them to do our jobs, maybe even better than we can do them. Where do we start in empowering them to do that? You know, I think you got to first know the people well enough to know what they really want from the company. You know, there's, you know, in the basic, simple restaurant ideas, you know, some people um, apply for a job as, as a, as a server, and they say, I don't really have any servers opening right now, but, you know, you can start as a hostess and work your way up to a server. And people take that carrot. And people take that carrot because they believe in what that manager said. And I hope that that manager believed in what they said. 
but some of them don't. Some of them just say, I'm looking for a hostess and you can fill, you can fill my shifts and you're hired. And meanwhile, that manager might not have any plans whatsoever to promote that person when that person took the job to be promoted. That's a bad relationship. That wasn't, that wasn't initiated on trust. Mm. Um, so I, I think that, I don't know if I answered that question, but um, that's kind of where it all begins. And you have, you have to empower people, you, you know. Um, I would, I personally, I would take that, that host and say, Hey, my goal is to get you to be a food server in the back of my mind. I'm going to give her, give this person, him or her, all the tools. Um, I'm going to continue to look for a hostess to take, to take this person's place. And I'm going to do all the things I'm supposed to do so I can fulfill what I told this person I was going to do. I'd give them the training materials, you know, I'd have them study. I'd have them take the, the server test. I'd do everything I can. I'd quiz them on the food when I saw them. You know, and all I'm really doing is building the knowledge base for trust. You're empowering them. And empowering them to, <laughs> to, to get them to where they want to be. Mm, I love it. Uh, I, I, I try to give Tom Walter as much credit as, as possible. Uh, if you're not familiar with his book, it's My Company Too. Awesome book. Uh, I recommend it to anybody that's listening to this right now. Uh, and what that Paul book is about is de- defining that what we're talking about right now. The difference between good companies and really great companies is what they call uh, these these great companies are entangled companies. And the the biggest thing is that they're a company of leaders, or as you would say, uh, all is one or all as one. Everybody yeah. is empowered to be a leader and is expected to be a leader. And when you can transform people and that's the biggest difference it's a, the difference between it between being a transactional organization where yeah. all the relationships are transactional versus having transformative relationships where your job is to transform those people that come in through your doors to make them better human beings to give them the values the skills the knowledge uh, to one day own, own and operate their own business hopefully with you as a partner you know yeah. uh that's a transformative company uh, i love that and i, I feel like that's kind of what I'm hearing from you, correct? Yep. And there's an absolutely. And there's another great book. Um, it's by Gary Ridge, um, who's the CEO of WD40 here in San Diego. And, and Ken Blanchard, um, I think, helped, helped with the book as well. It's called um, Helping People Win at Work. Um, and it, it talks about this business philosophy called uh, Don't Mark My Paper, Help Me Get an A, um, which, is a, which is another great book. Helping People what was it? Uh, sorry. Helping people win at work. Win at work. Yep. All right. That'll be in the show notes. Awesome. Uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, I kind of want to get more out of you though. I feel like you still have so much more in there that we haven't tapped into yet. Uh, anything that you were hoping we would discuss up to this point before we move to the speed round? God, I'm good. My brain's full. I hope I can do the speed round. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Nobody likes doing paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call Sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With your new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins. And Sorcery's biggest super 
superpower is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen from dry goods to proteins to produce. And when citrus skyrockets, you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter. To learn more, head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner in the show notes. If you mention Restaurant Unstoppable at checkout, you'll get your first month free. Yep. To be unstoppable, most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Howard, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait or a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success in hospitality? Oh, wow. I'd have to say in, in one word being authentic. Why is authenticity so important in this industry? You know, I think that there's, I think just in the world itself, not just in hospitality, there's a lot of people with masks on or, you know, having a, uh, an underlining agenda or um, have some sort of manipulation in mind. Um, and I think that people, you know, these days really um, connect with people that are authentic, um, people that um, part of that part of that empathy is part of being authentic. Um, you know, look them in the eye and, and listening is part of that authenticity. Um, the empathy is part of the authenticity. I think people really, you know, connect. And the best way to be authentic is to be yourself. Mm. You know, I love those in the hospitality world. I love those, you know, cashiers or food servers or bartenders that, you know, don't necessarily, um, you know, they're, they're themselves, you know, they're, if they have a Southern accent, they talk in a Southern accent and try to hide it. Um, you know, they they don't try to, um, you know, um, they're, they're still themselves, even though they might be in a formal setting, they're still themselves when they're in a casual environment. You can, you can, that that on that authenticity people can see through right away no matter what absolutely so what is your biggest weakness oh wow um i'd probably have to say that um um i might scare people sometime um i might i i uh they think i might not be listening sometime because my mind is is constantly on the move um and even though i am listening um, and even though I'm not a scary person, uh, because my mind moves so fast sometimes, um, I think it might be a little standoffish. So 
Would you say that your biggest weakness is uh, intimidation, being being one who who intimidates? I don't know if it's intimidation. Um, you know, um, when I do some coaching segments and I'm listening to somebody, um, oftentimes I, I do these with um, my wife who's in the business with me. And sometimes she'll have to say, like, don't worry about it. He's just thinking. He's listening to you, but he's just thinking. Um, yeah, so I, I think that uh, – I think my biggest weakness is I, I can't sometimes turn off my mind either in a, either in a, when I'm talking to somebody or a coaching session or even sleeping, you know, I, I get up at three o'clock in the morning cause I just can't, my mind is full and I got to start, you know, getting things off my mind. So I'll put them on paper, or write an article or, or do something. So I think the, it'd be nice if my mind would, would rest every once in a while. I think the scientific word for what we're experiencing, what we're, we're hearing from you is a uh, resting bitch face, I think is what they call it in the science field. Is that yeah, it? Also, <laughs> uh, so what do you what do you do to that now that you're aware of this that you have like this this look on your face when you're thinking and you're listening that might come off as is he angry is he uh is he is he upset with me like n- now that you're aware of that how do you how do you overpower like how do you uh compensate Well, when I was younger um, and actually managing restaurants, I did absolutely nothing because it was a great tool. Um, and people called it the Howard look. <laughs> so when I saw somebody doing something wrong, I would look at them and my mind would go like, how can I hold these people accountable? You know, how can I, I mean, a simple write-up wasn't good enough for me. I had to like, um, you know, make it such an impact that would never happen again. So I, in my mind, I would start to think about the things that I, I could do to hold this person accountable. And that person would see the look and they'd say, oh, that's the Howard look. <laughs> they would realize that they were doing something wrong and they would just stop. Okay. And some people would just go and apologize. So you can ask anybody that I've ever worked with, which is you know thousands and thousands of people if they ever saw the Howard look and they would be able to take exactly what they were doing wrong when they saw it. Um, you know, as I got older and I, I'd still have this thing going on in my mind, you know, it would take someone to say, hey, smile. And I go, oh, my God, I must have that look on my face. <laughs> uh, you know, funny. things like that. Awesome. Uh, what is one question or thing uh, you coach your clients to look for during the interview process? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think that let me start by saying I think that too many people look for the wrong things. OK. I think too many people look for knowledge. Um, they look for speed. Um, you know, they, they look and say, have you ever worked with this computer system before? Like, okay, like what if you, what if they haven't, does that mean they're not gonna get the job? Yeah. You can't teach someone how to operate your POS system. Um, so I tend to teach people to really, really focus on, um, good listening skills and eye contact and do they hear the passion in their voice? Um, do they feel the, the love that this person has for people and hospitality, um, and caring about their needs? And do they have a keen sense of awareness? Um, you know, maybe can they anticipate that guest needs cause they empathize with them. They know that they might, they might want something and they don't want them to be without it. Um, 
So those are the things I encourage people to look at in an interview. I feel like a lot of the things that you just listened, which are, I agree are all very important things are things that, uh, unless you are naturally a socially and emotionally intelligent person, you wouldn't quite be able to pick up on right away. So what questions are you asking? What signs are you looking for to see if people have passion and empathy and are, are, are a good listener? Like, are there any tricks you can share with us? Yeah, I think I don't know if I can share any tricks, but you know, one thing that we do do when we when we talk about this and we coach people is we do a lot of role playing, um, and we we actually go into that hand to hand combat on, you know, what do certain answers mean to certain things, and and um, you know, um, how do you dissect um, just by watching somebody. Um, through their facial expressions or their hand movements, if they have passion in what they're talking about, the inflection of their voice, um, do their eyes light up when you say certain things? So we, you know, we coach and counsel people how to how to pick up on those nonverbal cues um, and really hone in on them and pay attention to them um, and be aware during the interview process so they can they can not just listen to the to the answer but listen to the nonverbal cues as well, which is part of listening. Beautiful. I love it. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question. What's a current challenge? Uh, maybe since you're not an, a restaurant owner or operator right now, you're, you're consulting, you're coaching. What are you seeing is the most common challenge in your clients? Wow. Um, you know, when we tell people, you know, what we do in inevitably, Someone will say, you should go talk to this restaurant or you should go talk to this company. They need you so badly, um, <clears throat> which is kind of funny because that's that's the guest perspective. Um, but I think everybody who wants to be great um, needs us. And I think that if you're in business, um, it's got to be one of your goals to be great. Otherwise, you're complacent. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think that we offer a service that everybody needs and the challenge is, is to convince them that they need it. Um, the challenge is also once they decide, you know, that they need us, um, you know, we're kind of like a maid service in essence, you know, when you, you have a, you have a house and you hire them, you know, it has become so, um, disarray and you need help in, in a lot of different areas that you decide to hire a maid, right? And so you don't want that maid to come until you clean up a little bit because you don't want to be embarrassed, right? I got you. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes people want us, but they don't bring us on board fast enough because they're embarrassed. Okay. And we're not here to, you know, to criticize. You know, we're, we're honest and truly from our heart. Um, with a lot of passion and love for the hospitality industry um, as being as authentic as humanly possible. We want to help. It's the fear of stupid, man. I'm telling you, people are afraid to look stupid and they will let that destroy them. Uh, It's okay to feel stupid for a little bit. Get into that. Like admit if you, if you don't know, like you want to surround yourself with the people that have the answers. Uh, So it's okay to be stupid. If you feel stupid, it's okay. (laughs) <laughs> embrace it, uh, but just find help, do something about it. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your teams or the teams of the people you're consulting. 
Wow. I mean, I think this is just goes for, you know, everybody who walks planet Earth, and that is to be respectful. Um, no matter how badly you feel that you've been disrespected, um, you know, sometimes showing um, that you don't respond to that shows respect for yourself. Um, and I think that's, that's the, that's the single code of content conduct that, um, that everybody that walks this earth should have. What's one thing we can all start doing tomorrow or today, uh, that will make us more respectful. Um, treat everybody the same, regardless of age, creed, color, natural origin, sexual orientation. We are, we are all human, um, on this planet. And we all need to be retreated with um, equal respect. So this is uh, the, these questions you're getting right now, by the way, Howard are like fresh off the press. Uh, Some of these new questions. Uh, So this next question is what's one uncommon standard of service. So uh, an example of this is for example, uh, if you're a server and you're approaching a table and uh, you're holding something in your hand that doesn't have anything to do with that table, uh, you should hold that item behind your back. That's an okay. example of a uncommon standard of service. Uh, okay. What is one thing that is uncommonly known, but increases service at the level of wow. service? Wow. Um, I have the 5, 10, 15 second rule. Um, actually, it's called the 5, 10, 15 step rule. Sorry. Um, and that is, you know, for, for food servers, when you drop off a check, drop off a check, take five steps, turn around and see where that checkbook is and what what stage that customer is in paying that bill then take five more steps by the time you get that 15th step you might see that it's already back on the table with a payment in it turn around and go get it um in this day and age the worst thing that can happen that can make any great dying experience go bad is that when somebody wants to leave they're done they're done let them leave Mm. so that's that's the 5 10 15 rule 5, 10, 15 step rule. Take five steps, turn around, see where that check is. Take five more steps. See if it's, if the situation's improved, maybe they're grabbing their wallet and you'll take all this information in and and time it out. So as soon as that checkbook hits the table, you have turned around and you are, you are on it. Awesome. Great. Dude, I like this question. I'm happy I just added it because that's great. This is the stuff I want. Killing it, man. Uh, Share one online resource or tool that you leverage or you recommend uh, your clients leverage? Wow. God, there's, there's, there's so many cool tools. Mention more than one. Go nuts, Uh, man. (laughs) The first one is um, probably an online scheduling tool um, called open sim sim. And the reason I love it is because it's free. Um, so it allows all of these small monpa people who may not have a good sense of technology to get off of the paper and pencil schedule, to get off of Excel, um, to relate to your employees more by getting their schedule on their phone, um, allowing them to swap shifts on their phone, um, and get, get into the 20th century for God's sakes. Yeah. Um, it doesn't cost you a penny. It's totally free. So there's a lot of people who are resistant to like these scheduling apps. Uh, yeah. 
what, what's your advice for that person who's like who puts up a stink and says, ah, it's just, we just have 15 people working for us. Like, who needs that shit? Like, what's your what's your uh, your comeback for that person? Uh, get over your fears and get into the the new era. Um, you know, if if all of us and I say us because I'm I'm you know 55. Um, if we don't evolve with the technology of the world, um, imagine where we'll be in, in 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's a way to relate to the future. Um, we've just become dinosaurs too quickly. And, and that is something that I definitely do not want for myself. Um, you can't, you can't win this war. Um, this is a battle, the technology battle, all of us old fogies, we will not win. We can't stop it. Um, so you might as well get on the bandwagon and start learning. Awesome. Any other tools or resources online, free resources online you want to share with us? Um, the free ones, Open Simpsons, I think is is a great free one. Okay. Um, I love, um, I mean, obviously I love LinkedIn. Um, I think it's a great, a great learning tool. And I wish, um, I wish I was on it. Um, at least, um, you know, two or three times a week, maybe more when I was younger. Um, there's just a great, great source of free stuff to learn. And if you're feeling down and your career is not going in the right direction, there is somebody that you don't even know. You'll read something and it'll click in your brain and it'll change your mindset um, and it'll push you forward. Um, so it's motivational. It's inspirational. It's knowledge based. Um, you know, Albert Einstein said, if you're, if you, once you stop learning, you start dying. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, I want to live forever, so I don't ever want to stop learning. Awesome. I love it. And are there, are you a part of any, uh, like communities or groups on LinkedIn that you think are, we should all be a part of? Um, I'm a big fan of following people, um, that, um, have something to share. You know, there's a lot of successful people out there that either share how they did it, which sometimes doesn't relate to me or um, just tell you how to do it because that's how they did it. And there's some people that actually share, you know, their failures that they learned from and share their hardships and share those kind of things. And those are things I can really empathize with. So I listen to them and I find those to be, you know, motivating and inspiring as well as learning. So I would, I'm more into following, following people, um, than I am maybe the groups. Got you. What is one book that's a must read that will make us a better person or restaurant owner? Wow. Wow. Besides the win at work, there's another great book I love. Um, it's a little hard to get into. It, it might seem a little, um, immature at first, um, but it's called the energy bus by John Gordon. Um, you know, it talks about how, um, the influence of negativity, uh, can really drag you down and destroy, destroy your business. Mm, it's so powerful. Uh, the energy that you carry, uh, there's another great book on energy, uh, by Anise Kavanaugh called contagious culture, uh, which is worth checking out if you're into that type of stuff. Um, cool. Uh, I'll have all three of those books in the show notes. Win at work, uh, energy bust and contagious culture. Yeah, great. So, okay. Uh, what is, this is a little different. 
uh, I'm prepping. I'm like giving more like uh, I don't know dialogue into these questions because they're new. Uh, but what is one piece of technology uh, you are excited about and you're recommending your clients adopt in their restaurants? So that's things like different POS systems or yeah. uh, I guess uh, like loyalty programs or back of house like efficiencies or uh, like anything to help you build and format systems and processes like that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really into, um, you know, I grew up, uh, the first restaurant I ever worked at didn't even have a POS, they had a cash register. So I grew up in a kitchen where uh, tickets were handwritten and on a wheel. Um, and as as I grew, I grew with, with the technology. But I think a lot of these cloud-based POS systems um, are great. Um, I think they're sleek. Um, I think that they have a quicker ordering programs. I think it's easy to manage. Um, so I love these cloud-based POS systems. So um, why are why would you recommend cloud-based over the uh, legacy uh, like Micros and Aloha of the world? I think I, largely because of the you get the real-time information at your fingertips. Um, you can get alerts and get pings when people are approaching overtime, and you know you get constant reminders, and you can. Um, you know, look to see, you know, where, where you are for that particular day. You know, the real time information is, is great. Which of the cloud-based, I mean, there's a lot out there. Are there like one, two or three that you can just spout out real quick that have most impressed you that uh, you gravitate to that you recommend to your clients? Um, I think toast is good. Um, I think toast is really good. What makes um, them I really also good? Like, um, I also like Revel. Um, I like Clover. Um, I like um, Touch Bistro. I think they have, they have a good system. Um, those are probably four off the top of my head. Toast, Revel, Clover, Touch Bistro. And yeah. what is it about Toast that made you say that they are really good? What do they do that's really good? Um, I think because they handle a lot of things themselves. You don't need very many third-party apps to get what you want. You don't need a third-party to do gift cards. You don't need a third-party to do loyalty. Um, you know, everything is pretty much self-contained. I, I like their hardware. It's, it's very durable for, for a restaurant operation that, you know, where it might get bumped or if you had a kiosk or you had a handheld that might drop. Um, I think the hardware is durable. Um, and I also think the people that work there are, are have good culture and they're, they're, they believe in their brand. Yeah. They're a great company. Uh, they really are. They have sponsored the show in the past. So, uh, they are near and dear to my heart. Great company, great people. Uh, definitely worth checking out as well as revel clover touch piece or also, uh, I've, I've heard nothing about good things. I've heard clovers turned it around. I think they started off a little rocky, maybe developed a little bit of a bad reputation, but have since turned, turned it around and are doing much better. We might yeah, have the same thing. Yeah. The restaurant clients that I have that have clover, you know, like it it's simple it's easy it works for them um it reduces their paper costs because they're not you know printing out receipts for everybody because it, it captures your email based on your credit card and you don't have to type in your email address every time if you want a receipt so they do a lot of things that are cool. that are good awesome all right this is a new question this is how we wrap it up now are you ready for it yeah if you if you just got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. Uh, with the exception 
of maybe three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind uh, for the good of humanity, what would they be? Wow. Um, I'd probably just give one piece of advice. Um, you know, you have to be a go-getter. Um, everybody has wants. Um, they want certain things out of life. Um, most people that are, you know, have this um, entrepreneurial mentality or this ownership mentality, they want to they wanna be the person. Um, they have dreams. Um, I think everybody has dreams of what they want to be and where they want to be in life. Um, and you have to be a go-getter. Um, no one is going to provide those things for you. You have to create you have to create the situations that are going to go get your dreams. So I mean, I talked about earlier about leaving a, a great job because, you know, I wasn't growing, you know, and I wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to wait and I wasn't going to accept the answer. I wanted certain things out of life and I was going to go get them. Um, and I'm glad I did. Um, so you, you have to be a go-getter. You have to go after what you want um, with total focus. Um, you have to seek out help to be, to get, stay constantly motivated um, and for outsiders to provide in, inspiration, to provide knowledge. Um, um, but you have to go get it yourself. Don't wait for the world to happen to you. Go out and happen to the world. Yep. I love it. Awesome. Uh, were, were there any you know, topics or things or questions I could have asked you or we could have covered uh, that you think would have added more value to today's conversation? This is your last chance to to get something off your chest if we didn't get to, to talk about it yet. You know, honestly, I, I'm probably going to go over this in my head for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm going to say, Dang, I wish Eric would ask me this. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and to share your story and your knowledge uh, and what you know to be true about success in this industry. You were a great guest, and we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and you believe would make a great guest mentor on the show? Okay, uh, I'm going to mention two people. Um, I'm going to mention you first. Um, because you providing this information and this <laughs> format, um, I think is great. Thank you. Uh, uh, I don't think there's anything else like it. Um, and I think more people need to hear it. Oh man, that's uh, nice. thank you. And I think it's a great, a great thing that, that you do. So, um, uh, you're first on my list. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, the second on my list is a guy named Dan Simons, um, who I worked with at the cheesecake factory along with Mike Vakarevich. Um, they have a restaurant called Founding Farmers, um, and it's it, the, it's majority owned by American farmers. Oh, that's so cool! Um, and they have you know the values of the company are based off of American farmers. They have you know uh, an undeniable work ethic. Um, they have a genuine concern for um, our land and the community. Um, and they have three restaurants now. They're all on the East Coast. I think D.C., Potomac, um, maybe Tyson's, Virginia. They're opening up a fourth in the King of Prussia um, shortly. I think the first of November. Um, great culture. Um, um, inspiration. Dan Simons and Mike Vicaris are just two mentors that I – the things that they taught me and said to me um, have stuck with me. Um, they're part of my fiber 
Um, and I think, you know, and it's great that the majority owner, you know, is owned by, you know, I don't know how many, 45,000 um, um, families who are farmers. Um, I think it's fantastic. That is pretty rad. Um, Dan and Mike Lookouts and uh, Eric Catchatory Lookouts, I'm coming after you. <laughs> I, I love to get you guys as guests on the show. Uh, and man, Howard, thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing your story. And I mean, you, you're just a great example of somebody who understands the, the value of uh, empowering other people and making it about service to others. That's what I picked up from today's conversation. It's all about service to others. It's all about moving other people's career forward, providing room for opportunity, room for empowerment. Uh, and that's what I pulled from today's conversation among many other things, but that was a big takeaway for me. And well, before I let you go, uh, let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you? If you want to follow your work, if we want to pick up the conversation, maybe ask you some questions. What's the best way to connect? Um, you can hop on my website, um, which is Solomon S O L O M O N all O's leaders with an S at the end.com. Um, and you can, you can, uh, reach me through there. Um, and also learn more about what we do. Any social handles you want to drop on us? Uh, let's just do it the website for right now. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, this and is also a- go ahead. Eric thing. When yeah. you nail this Eric Cacciatore guy down, do an interview, <laughs> if you let me know, I'd like to fire some questions at him. All right. Maybe, maybe you can come back and you can host <laughs> an episode interviewing me. How's that sound? Okay, that'd be great. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, well, I'll have all the links to every tool, resource, and a summary of today's discussion over at restaurantunstoppable.com slash 391. This is episode 391. Head over there to find those links. Don't kill yourself doubt, driving down the street trying to write this stuff down. I got your back. Uh, all right, Howard, thanks again for joining us, man. There is no questioning, my friend. You are <laughs> unstoppable. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. I had a great time. You were awesome. Cheers. Cheers to you too. Yes, that was an awesome episode. Howard Solomon, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, to share your knowledge, to share your advice. And uh, I really want to dive deeper into Hard Rock Restaurant. I might, I might actually try to get Peter Morton on the show. I think that would be cool because uh, you know every big company starts as a small company. And uh, what they did over at the Hard Rock Cafe in those early days, I think, is something to really uh, there's definitely a lesson or two or many in an interview with with Peter Morton. So I'm going to try to get after that. Uh, and I mean, Howard was just great. I, I love the, the emphasis, the emphasis he put on just making it about other people. And I think that's one that that's like such a differentiating like factor when when you learn that success in this industry isn't about. The, your restaurant's not about you. It's about everyone else, your business, everybody else, your restaurant touches your employees, your guests, everybody else. Your, your life is to make all their lives better. And that's not just by providing a good meal. It's by giving them the values, creating a community where people can choose to be great. And that's what I got from today's conversation. Awesome stuff. Uh, and a funny story about today's conversation uh, and a, like, a little inspirational moment for you guys all or just a moment of, uh, you know, keep your chin up. Uh, today was a rough day for me. I'm not going to lie. So, uh, so grateful and fortunate to be going to a wedding. My two good friends who I, my roommates, as a matter of fact, are getting married and I'm traveling down to Florida from New Hampshire uh, this weekend and I'm stressed out. 
as a, as a mofo over here trying to get content lined up into the future. And I had an issue where, uh, my heart, my, my Ram was full on my computer. So an interview I recorded, the MP3 didn't actually save. So I had to re-record that in MP3 and I was one episode short, um, of hitting my quota to be scheduled out through the next week. So I could just enjoy the wedding and, and be present with my friends. Uh, and then one of my interviews rescheduled today, last minute or yesterday, last minute. And I have, Basically, it's really hard to, to schedule an interview with a restaurant tour on the weekend, as you can imagine. So I'm like, how the heck am I going to pull this off? I'm going to this wedding. I'm going to have to bring all my recording equipment and like set up. And it's going to be a pain in the butt. My, my friends are going to hate me. <laughs> and then uh, I, I chose to not let my emotions get the best of me. Uh, I believe in what I'm doing with this podcast. I believe that if you live to serve others. If you live to make the world a better place, the world has a way of just taking care of you. And I told myself that I said, Eric, chill the frig out, dude, shit's going to come together. It's all going to work out. Just be positive. And sure enough today, I get a message from Howard on LinkedIn saying, I'm not looking to sell anything. I just want to let you know uh, that I really appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work. You have a new, basically I'm, I'm listening to your podcast. Like this is great. You have a new listener. Um, and I was like, it was like, you know, the, the heavens opened and gave me an opportunity to keep up with the content, to keep my promise, to allow me to keep my integrity uh, with my sponsors and with my listeners. And the point being is if, if you show up and you live to serve, you live to make the world a better place. The world has a way of, of making sure you're taken care of. Uh, and I think that's just a beautiful example of, of that, of that, what I believe to be true. Uh, that's, that's proving my, the, this truth I believe in, uh, that if you take care of everyone else, they will, the world, the, the ether will take care of you. So awesome little feel good moment right there. Uh, great stuff. If you guys want to connect with me, if you want to suggest a guest, if you want to ask questions and have them answered by experts, shoot me an email, Eric at restaurant Tweet me, Instagram me, Eric Catchtori, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable, and keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I do accept donations. I'm I'm getting by with this podcast. I'm I'm scraping to get by. I'm making some money, but you know I'm I'm working real hard, and every little bit helps. Uh, I really I want to take this podcast on the road. Uh, so, I mean that would be huge. Being able to go on site and travel and just really connect deeply in you know meaningfully with these incredible people uh, you can help me make that happen every little bit helps but the best way if you really want to support the show guys the the easiest way for you to support the show and the best way is to share it every time you listen to an episode every time um you, you get inspired every time you feel lifted up pay it forward guys please share this podcast with everyone and anyone you know aspiring to be great in this industry uh, i want to create a movement guys i want to i want to Help people realize that uh, the work they do every day can be meaningful and you can make an impact on your community. You can make an impact on the lives of young people you touch who come work for you. Uh, it is possible. We we teach the ways with, through the stories on how to do that and everybody should have access to this, this, this material. So let's get it out there. Please help me out. All right. Shut up, Eric. You're talking way too much. It's time to go. Thank you guys for listening, sticking around this long. I love you all. It wouldn't be possible without you. So thank you. And until next time, peace out.